Well, good morning. It is an honor and a privilege to get to open the Word of God with you this morning. Um, I see a, a lot of guests here this morning, and after service, I would like to invite you to, to meet me in the, the welcome hallway. I'd, I'd love to get to talk to you for a few minutes and say hello. Also, between services, we're going to have a time of fellowship. So as soon as this service is over and the other Sunday school, the Sunday school class lets out over there, we'll go in there and we'll have coffee and snacks and get to hang out for a little bit and, and fellowship. So we'd like to invite you to that. I, I just want to <clears throat> take a second and specifically to this service say thank you. I realize we're asking the most of you guys. But Lord willing, it's just for a season. And in this season, that, that God would, would bring a harvest and an increase. And this, what God's doing here right now is, y'all, y'all don't get to hear all the stories, but there's, there's stories of freedom from addictions. There's stories of, of people coming to Christ, people sharing their faith for the first time. God's doing things here. In a couple of weeks, we're having a, having a baptism service, and just, just by way of announcement, any day that I'm not looking at is a lie, not on purpose, so I'm not even going to say the day, but it'll be after Easter, and I want to say we've got six or seven people ready to be baptized, some children and some adults. God is doing things here, and I'm just, it's a privilege to be a part of it and to be a part of, of this church. So let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this time, and let's, let's dive into the Word. God, you are magnificent. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate our eyes by your spirit to the word preached this morning. God, the things I say that aren't right or are misspoken, God, I pray that you would let those things fall to the floor. God, but I just pray that you would strike each and every one of our hearts with your truth and that we would not leave the same as we came. Lord, empower us as we go out. We need you in all the things we do. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you will, open to Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> we took a pause last week to, to talk about um, being a part of the Southern Baptist Convention and the cooperative program and those, those neat things that we get to participate there. But we're, we're picking back up in our study. And we're going to be in Galatians 5, 1 through 6 as we continue our series called Captivated because we know what captivates our hearts we're going to live for. And, and it's our hope and it's our prayer that we would be people captivated by the love of Jesus Christ and that we would go out from this place and we would live for his glory. So as we've learned so far in our study, it's, it's hard to do this because our hearts are drawn to lesser things. Things like man-made religious rules or, or our religious traditions. And people, they want to take these things that are sometimes good things and make them primary gospel issues. And when we make it a primary gospel issue, that's when it's a bad thing. So we've been, calling, um, we've been calling this a Jesus plus gospel or a Jesus plus theology. Remember in the economy of God, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. 
but Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So what's, what's something that would be a Jesus plus, plus something else? Well, that would be something like Jesus plus the law. Jesus plus how you grew up doing church. Jesus plus the Lord's Supper. Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus charitable giving. Jesus plus any work, let me be clear here, for salvation is a Jesus plus gospel. And as Galatians 2 told us, it nullifies grace. While all these things I've mentioned are good things and things that are biblical things, everything I mentioned was a biblical thing, right? The law, charitable giving, um, baptism, Lord. So these are good things and they are meant to be done as worship, but they are not meant to be the thing that obtains your righteousness or your salvation. So let, let, me, be, let me be clear on that. And if, if they are what you're trusting in for salvation, then that is a Jesus plus gospel. This week, me and Brandon, um, we, had a, we had a meeting at Black Rifle, oh, Black, Black Rifle, I'll get the word out, Black Rifle Coffee, new, new coffee place in Waco. By the way, pretty cool. Like, everything they got going on in there, I like it. So, um, but we, on the way out, we meet this guy named Vince. And I'm going to say Vince was in his 80s. He was a very nice man. He was, he was a chatty man. And if you chat me up, I'm going to talk to you. So we find out that Vince is a very religious man. Unfortunately, Vince was a man who held to a Jesus plus gospel. Vince believed that, and I'm not speculating, I asked. So let me, let me be clear on this. This is not me just going, oh, I feel like this. No, I asked him, and this is, these are the words he said. Um, he believed he was going to heaven because he was a good man, and he kept the law well enough. He believed that God would be impressed by his charitable giving. Apparently, he's a wealthy man, and he gives a lot. And Vince, though a professing Christian, did not see Jesus as the only means to heaven, but Jesus plus his charitable giving, his, his keeping the law, and, and all these other good things he feels like he's done. So while we're talking to Vince, my heart, it just broke. We were able to share the gospel for him with, with him, and as we were sharing the gospel, you could just see it on him. We, we started talking about the law, and he just comes heavy under the conviction of sin. Like you can see, like when you share the gospel, you can see people's countenance changed. Uh, his, his face changed from being chipper to being broken. And Vince, whenever we started sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, dude looked relieved. Like I'm like, oh, this guy's about to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior, amen. Like I get fired up. And so we tell him, we tell him how salvation is all about Jesus, but when he realized what the gospel required, he got visibly frustrated, and he wanted nothing to do with it. So what was it? What was the thing keeping Vince from coming to Jesus? We, we explained grace, and that's the thing. We told him how grace was totally free, apart from works, or it's not grace at all. We told him that, that Jesus is all we have to trust in, not these things that we do. 
All we trust in is Jesus' atoning death, burial, and resurrection. And we're not to trust in our own works. And it was heartbreaking, but Vince, he, he chose to trust in his work over Jesus' work. Vince decided to trust in a Jesus plus gospel. And we know that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. In God's economy, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So if you're a note taker, look at the screens. This is what's true about our text this morning. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. You're like, man, that one comes up often. Well, Paul's making mainly one point in this book with a lot of subpoints pointing back to that point. So salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. So what do we do per this text that we're going to read? We are to live in the freedom of Christ and we are to work for him as an overflow of love. That, that, that's, that's what we are to do. So let's, let's read our text together. So in verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. For through the, uh, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. May the Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. So let's, let's look at verse 1. So verse 1, um, we're gonna, the point is that we should stand firm in our, in, our, in our freedom. So this is how I study the Bible. You might choose to study the Bible a different way, but when, when I'm looking for what I'm supposed to do, I look for the verbs in the sentence. And there are three verbs in the sentence, set, my East Texan might be getting me, so set, S-E-T, stand, and um, submit. So let's, let's, let's read our, our verse, verse 1. For freedom Christ has, underlined set, us free. Then the next command, stand firm therefore, and do not, this is a command also, do not submit to the yoke of slavery. So if you're an underliner, underline those things. Paul, throughout the book, he's been making the case that true freedom is found in Jesus Christ alone. The idea of living in freedom and, and liberty is a concept that millions have given up their lives over in, throughout the generations, right? Like, I can't read for freedom Christ has set us free without seeing Braveheart with like that blue wipe down his face yelling, freedom! I love that more than five of you mouthed it with me. <laughs> but like, that's what we see, right? I mean, think about the American Revolution. I'm, I'm, I'm a geek. I love the American Revolution. 
They gave up their lives for the hope of future freedom from tyranny. Um, the Civil War, I'm reading an Abraham Lincoln biography right now. These, all these men, they're giving up their lives for the liberty and freedom of others. Freedom is something, liberty is something worth fighting and dying for. But when we fight for freedom, the tyrant will always fight back, right? Because they don't want to lose their stronghold. They don't want to lose their position. They don't want to lose their power. Um, Think about the, the ministry of Christ on earth. Christ was largely fighting against the legalists right? And these people, these are people who took things that were meant for worship and they distorted them, the good gifts of the law, and they were saying these different actions are how you, how you come to faith in, in God, how you're made righteous. But Paul's already showed us over and over and over in the book of Galatians, how are we made righteous? Just like our father Abraham, by faith. So these people, when they're pressed, these are the, they start scrambling for their position, right? And they are the ones who have Jesus executed. They, they have him killed for their position and for their power. But on the cross, creed, uh, freedom is what Jesus was fighting for. We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to Satan. We were enemies of God. Because of our sin, we were lost and we were heading towards hell. But Jesus... But Jesus came to earth. Jesus kept the law. And Jesus did miracles. And Jesus lived the perfect life. And and Jesus being both the Son of God and God the Son, He allowed humankind that He made to take His life so that we could have His righteousness. Jesus Christ, He died on the cross and He rose from the grave. And Jesus purchased our pardon And it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen? In Christ, we are set free. We're set free from the obligation of the law because Jesus kept the law. In Christ, we are set free to live for God and we are not obligated to work. But here's the key. But we work out of love for God who has liberated us from our captors. We've been set free by Christ. But now let's, let's look back at verse 1. So that's, that's set. We've been set free. Um, we're told that we've been set free. Therefore, stand, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So Paul says that we've been set free because we've been purchased by Jesus And now we're in the household of God and no one has the right to enslave us again because we've been purchased, we've been set free. We are now brought into the household. We get to call God Abba. But this is exactly what a Jesus plus theology seeks to do. Paul commands the believer to stand firm Stand firm here, it's the language of war. The picture that's being painted is the Roman soldiers on the battlefield, right? We've all seen them with their, the, those big, like, man-sized shields that they would stand behind. 
They, they would stand behind them and, and they, the call would be to stand firm and the Romans would fight in this straight line. And as enemies with their wild attacks would come, they would, they would march in order behind the shield wall. The Romans would fight and they would be safe and they would be able to then make counterattacks. They stood firm. They would plant their feet knowing, this is the deal. If somebody, if you came to Christ and everybody acted, and the person who led you to Christ acted like it was all going to be peaches and roses, we know an attack is coming. Stand firm, plant your feet, prepare for the surge. And that's the kind of stand we must take against error and legalism, against religiosity, or, as I've been calling the whole time, a Jesus plus theology. We must not yield. Understand me, we must not yield in a single point. We must plant our feet and we must stand firm. And Paul gets a bad rap for being combative. Paul is not a combative guy. Paul is a guy who became all things to all men. Paul is a guy who, who would, whatever it took, he was a, a peacemaker and he was a bridge builder. But it, when it came to matters of God's truth, Paul was unyielding. Paul was uncompromising because he knew exactly what was at stake. The souls of men and the glory of God. The Roman wall would not work if there wasn't unity and courage by everyone in the fight. Church, the call for us today is to stand firm. We need to be an iron wall of resolution for God's glory and for God's truth so that we would shine out into a lost and dying world. The calls to stand for, firm. Christ has set us free so we can stand firm. And let's look at this last verb in verse 1. And do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Paul warns us if, 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 I think we, the language of slavery is not compelling to anyone. It's like, no, I don't want to do that. But Paul would not be constantly warning us to, about the slavery of legalism if it wasn't compelling. The only thing in this life that we are to submit to is King Jesus. Submitting to the yoke of slavery is the opposite of standing firm. Submission is surrender. This week I came across a really bizarre story. It's, it's a good one. Uh, I like weird nuggets of history, so here you go. We're going to share. In 1932, the Australian government went to war. Now, this may not be a war you're aware of. It was, it was new information to me. Um, they declared war on the emu. Now, emu are not a people group you've never heard of or one of those small countries in Europe that, you know, nobody really knows what they are. No, I'm talking about the large flightless bird. The... the the emu, there were 20,000 of these overrunning the outback. 
And kind of like we have with uh, the javelina, like they're destroying crops and property. But the difference is the American government did not wage war against the, the, the wild pig. But the Australian government properly waged war. They declared war against the emu. So it, they sent 330,000 armed men with tanks and machine guns um, to fight these 20,000 helpless birds. But, like, I want you, if you, if, like, I know I'm losing everybody, but here, like, later, keyword later, Google the Great Emu War. Like, like, who, who names a war the great anything during the, the shadows of World War II? But, nevertheless, um, the Great Emu War. And this is the crazy thing, they actually lost. <laughs> Apparently those boogers are hard to kill. On average, it took 10 bullets to kill one because of their feathers. And they're pretty quick and they would get out of range. So, even more bizarre... They waged war a second time in 1934 and lost again. Instead of pressing on and being resilient, they surrendered. And like when you think about the outback, you think about people like Crocodile Dundee, right? Like rugged, tough, strong. I mean, outside of Texas, that's where the other Texans live is the outback. They became the laughingstock of the world. You want to know why Christians are not taken seriously in America? Why Christians in America have become the laughingstock of the world? It's because we're constantly waging war on things that don't matter. We're constantly waging war on the wrong things. We are to stand firm on the Word of God... And we are to not surrender. We are to not yield. We are to plant our feet. I see Christians all the time surrendering to the culture instead of standing firm on the word of God. Someone will, will come with this emotional argument, with this emotional pill, and they'll manipulate Scripture like the Judaizers were doing in Galatia and it's just kind of hard to respond. We don't want to be combative. Their argument will have just enough Jesus sprinkled into it to make it hard to argue. It doesn't matter if the thing you attach to Jesus is good or not. If you're adding anything to Him for someone to really be saved, to really be righteous, then you're doing the exact thing that Paul and Jesus spent a lifetime fighting. Because like the Judaizers, the law is not a bad thing, but it becomes a bad thing when it's the thing that you're trusting in for salvation. So let's, let's look at verses 2 through 4. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. 
you are severed from Christ. And just Paul's being a little tongue-in-cheek here because we know what the conversation's about. So you can connect those dots if you'd like. You who would be justified by the law, you've fallen away from grace. So Paul commands the church in verse 2 to look at this hypothetical situation that he creates. He says, If you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. Paul, Paul's previously said that if we add to the, goal, to the gospel, we nullify grace. And this is where we get this from, Galatians 2.21. You'll see it on the screen. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So here's a good question. If I accept the physical act of circumcision, or if I was born and was circumcised, then do I lose all the benefits of Jesus? No. The answer is no. But I could see where your mind would go there. No, the answer is no. The, the idea goes back to Galatians 2.21. It's a matter of trusting in traditions and the laws for righteousness, or are you trusting in Christ alone for righteousness? Christ is no advantage to you because you don't need Christ at this point. You're trusting in something else for your salvation. You're trusting in your work. Paul goes on to make this point in verse 3. He says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, he's obligated to keep the whole law. If you're adding anything to Jesus for salvation, don't worry about Jesus because now you're obligated to keep the whole law as if Jesus didn't exist. If you're saying, like, I've, I've got to do this myself, then you don't need Jesus anyway, is what Paul's showing you here. Jesus' grace is either totally free or it's not at all. There's nothing lacking in his work. That's, that's what Paul's telling us in Galatians 3. There's nothing lacking in his work that we have to somehow come behind him and finish. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ. There's nothing left to do. He's done it. All we've added to our salvation is sin. And Jesus purchased us from that sin. Jesus saved us. Jesus did not save us a little, and then we had to make it right the rest of the way. Jesus totally and completely did it. I hate this illustration about, you, we've all heard the illustration, you're, you're drowning in the ocean, and Jesus comes up in a lifeboat and throws you a raft, and all you have to do is hang on. Well, if that's not unbiblical, who does the hanging on? Jesus. Jesus does it. Let's, let's, let's look at who holds on to us. Jesus says this in John 10, 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and the Father are one. Who holds us? God. It's like that old, that, that old song, He will hold us fast. We're not the ones holding on to Him, clinging for dear life. The God of the universe, when we put our faith and our trust in Him, He puts us in His hands, and He will never let us go. 
A better ocean illustration is that we've drowned and we're at the bottom of the ocean and Jesus dives into the ocean. He swims to the top. He takes us to safety and he breathes life into us because Jesus is the one who's done everything. The, 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 the principle is if you're going to trust in what you can do, that means you're not trusting in what Jesus did. The man I told you about in the beginning, Vince, he trusted in his self to become acceptable to God. He told me that he believed he would be accepted by God because he was a good person. So we, as we've done in here, that's how I share the gospel. He, he took the good person test. And I told him, walking into it, it's just the Ten Commandments, and we're all going to fail miserably. And by the confession of his mouth, he said that he was a lying thief and a murderer. That was the confession of his mouth. He confessed that God could not look at him and say that he's a good man. And by his own merit, that God would, should not allow him into heaven. Vince chose trusting in his ability to keep the law over Jesus' work to keep it. Over Jesus' work on the cross. Because Vince walked away going, you know what, I can't give this stuff up. It's too important to me. And Vince will have to stand before God and give an account based on our passage here, for the whole law. We're obligated to keep the whole law if we do not accept Jesus, who did keep the whole law for us to receive righteousness. So let's move for a second from circumcision to maybe a 21st century issue that we're dealing with, because most of us aren't trusting in our circumcision plus Jesus for salvation, right? It's probably not what we're dealing with. So let's, let's, look, at, let's look at our verse. Verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Maybe for you it should read, I testify to every man who believes your good works will, will make you righteous. He's obligated to keep the whole law. I testify to every man who believes that his church attendance will get him to heaven. He's obligated to keep the whole law. I testify that every man who believes his baptism will get him into heaven. He's obligated to keep the whole law. I testify you again, everyone who believes the Lord's Supper will make you righteous. He is obligated to keep the whole law. These things are good things. Everything I said was a good thing. But when, when we do these as the thing that will make us righteous, that's when they become not a good thing. All these things are things that we should do as acts of worship. But you'll find in the New Testament, one of the themes is, if you're trusting in something other than Jesus Christ for salvation alone, then, then, you've made that good thing a bad thing. These are the type of things that the legalists were trusting in for salvation let me say it like this. They were trusting in the acts of worship over the object of worship to make one righteous. Do you see the difference? We, we do these things as acts of worship, but when we say we put that over our object of worship, which is Jesus Christ and God, then we've made that 
the way that we find our righteousness. Verse 4, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, and you've fallen away from grace. Those who choose circumcision, traditions, or their ability to keep the law, again, Paul's being tongue-in-cheek here. He says, you are severed from Christ. If you trust in your circumcision, you are cut off from the promises of God. How sad for a person that grace is something that could be obtained but because they're trusting in something else, it will, for their lifetime, stay out of reach. And they'll have to deal with that, that consequence for an eternity. That's heartbreaking. They had a chance and they fell away. Remember how we've defined grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. Keeping the laws and traditions. Or living in a way that, God, that you think God will think you're, you're awesome for it. That's merit. Grace is, the definition of grace is unmerited favor. And grace is all that God offers for righteousness. So let's look at our last part of our verse, just real quick. Verses 5 through 6. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. First five for me when I was studying it this week was a struggle. So I had to read it real slow a lot of times. So let's, let's read this one real slow and see what it's saying. For through the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. The Spirit is talking about the Holy Spirit, like I said, and that's and a true Christian will have the Holy Spirit indwelling them, and he will empower that, that person, you and me, to live as God desires. So through the Holy Spirit, we are true believers, and we are given faith by the Spirit, for through the Spirit, we are waiting for our future righteousness. And this, is, this, this thing we're waiting for is not salvation. We've already obtained salvation. We've already been given the righteousness of, of Jesus. That's not what this is talking about. We're looking forward to the day when we stand before God. And this, this is one of these concepts of this already and not yet. We're already saved, but we're not yet with Jesus. We're already righteous, but God's yet to declare us righteous on his great white judgment throne. So, going back to our passage, we, through the Spirit, eagerly and wait and hope for that day that we would stand before Him. And isn't it bizarre that we would desire to be judged by God? Who in their right mind would want, who would be eager to be judged by God? Because we all know we're sinful. It's because we know that the blood of Christ has been applied to us. He's not judging us based on our righteousness, but on the righteousness of his son. So we know that we will be declared on that day righteous as Jesus is righteous. So let's look at verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So, Verse 6 seems at odds with other things that Paul said. Circumcision or uncircumcision. You just told me if, if I got circumcision, Christ was no advantage to me. And 
he's, he's, he's making a point that it doesn't matter. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything. I think he's trying to evoke an emotion in a believer or in, in, not, in the reader. The picture that he's painting in verse 5 is us standing before God in judgment. And do you think God's going to go through going, circumcised, uncircumcised, in, out? No, it doesn't matter. He's judging by faith. And I'm not being crude. That's the language that he's using here. That, that's not what God is judging us by, is this act. He's judging us by the act of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us before God, our good works are nothing more than filthy, soiled, stained rags. Because we know we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And on that day, we don't deserve a declaration of righteousness. We deserve condemnation. All that matters is not our works, but the work of Jesus. The only thing that matters is verse is 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 Jesus. The the only work on our part that matters is verse six. Only faith working through love. God does not desire obedience that flows out of obligation. He desires obedience that flows out of love. It's a response to love. God freely gives righteousness through the work of his son. So the work we do for him is just out of love. It's an overflow. And if you have faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides in you, and you are able to walk in love. Real, genuine Christian faith empowered by the Holy Spirit will manifest itself through the way that we love God and we love others. And that's the whole of the law. That's what Jesus said, right? And then you're like, man, that's, Jesus really simplified that. Go read the law. Some of it is pointed towards God and some of it is pointed towards others. And all of it is the only way it can be done is through love. We love God, therefore, that flows into the way that we love others. We love God, therefore, we flow through acts of worship and obedience. It is for freedom that Jesus has set us free. We are not obligated to keep the law, but by the Spirit that dwells in us, we now get to work through love and obedience, following his laws. And one, one work of love I would encourage you to participate in this Easter season is, who's your one? Guys, I know that seems like maybe something trite. One individual, he's been invited. God's done something in his life. He took up who's your one. He invited someone else. He invited someone that that person was close to. And now we've got two people that, in my opinion, are lost as a goose who are excited every week to come here and hear the gospel proclaimed. That simple act of love of an invitation may just have eternal consequences. 
tell you what, I was a believer, but I was not connected to church. And there was this individual, she invited me every week to church for, for months. And finally, I was like, look, if you just don't talk to me anymore, I'll go to church with you. <laughs> not saying I was walking in the spirit, but she was. And I went and God changed me. It changed the entire trajectory of my life. A simple invitation has, has powerful work, but it's got to be done out of love. We can walk in love empowered by the Spirit. Let's pray.